0: Praise God. We're talking about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This is lesson number nine. I never thought we'd get beyond two, but it's lesson number nine. And in actuality, it really is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus in every aspect of our lives. You realize that? You know, if, even it comes to marriage, you know, in your marital relationship, well, let's start with an individual. As an individual, it's all about Jesus. What are you going to do with him? As a married couple, it's all about Jesus. I can give you a quick seminar on marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ Christ loved the church and if he will do that and if she will submit herself to him as unto the lord all about jesus you got yourself a pretty good marriage can you say amen to that children obey your parents in the lord so you see he's involved in every aspect of our lives now last time we met we talked about last week was mother's day so the week before that we talked about the divine exchange if this doesn't excite you go by a new exciter. Because this is exciting. God made him to be sin for us to make us righteous. Aren't you glad you're the righteousness of God in Christ right now? Amen. He was rejected for us so that we would be accepted. You're accepted in the beloved. He was made sorrow. He became sorrow. He suffered sorrow for us. Why? So that you and I could have joy unspeakable and full of glory. He was made a curse for us so that you and I would be blessed and we could never be cursed. You realize that? When God pronounces a blessing upon anyone, they cannot be cursed. So have you been blessed with every spiritual blessing? Well, then you cannot be cursed. Now, the objective of our teaching along this line is so that we can have a revelation of the work of Christ in redemption And then we can produce faith that will enable us to enter into the finished work of Christ as we live our lives here upon the earth. That's our objective. Now, we're going to continue our study by looking at three phases of the work of Christ. We need to be taught the Word of God in church. We need to know what Jesus has done for us. And the only way we can do that is by going to the Word of God and finding out what it says. So look at John's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 4 and 5. These are the words of our Lord. I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So, he was finished as far as his work was concerned, right? What's the word finish mean? To complete something or bring something to an end, an action, an activity to bring it to an end. Well, if it's already been brought to an end, it's ended, it's finished, it's completed. You don't complete what's been completed. You don't finish what's been finished. He's already done it. So these are the things he's already completed. These are the things he's already done. And as far as we're concerned, he did them all for us. Because we couldn't do them for ourselves. Okay, so what work are we talking about, Jesus? What did you come to finish? Number one, it starts with this. He had to finish everything as far as the details of the Abrahamic covenant is concerned. It was his responsibility to come to this earth and finish the work. So, number one, Jesus had to deal with everything pertaining to the Abrahamic covenant that was made between God the Father and Abraham before Israel ever became a nation. Okay, so let's look at Genesis chapter 17. In the first four verses, we see this revealed to us. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. So God makes a covenant with Abraham that had to be fulfilled. Well, was that fulfilled? Absolutely. Look at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6. But now has he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. In that chapter, he goes on to say certain things. A new covenant he's going to make with the house of Israel. But this is a better covenant. But the point is this. Who fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant? Jesus did. As Abraham offered up his son Isaac, God was responsible to offer up his son Jesus. So we see Jesus fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant It's been fulfilled in Christ. Next, it's important we understand this. He was also to fulfill and set aside three things. The law. He had to fulfill the law. He had to set aside the sacrifice and the priesthood. Those three things he had to fulfill and set aside. And the question is this, did he do it? If he finished the work that he was given to do, then obviously he did it. But number one, he was to fulfill and set aside the law. So let's look. Galatians chapter three, beginning at verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, "Curses is everyone that continueth not in all things, which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it's evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not a faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And in that chapter, he goes on to conclude and say that the law was only given as a schoolmaster, as a tutor, to teach us about Christ. And as long as it was still in force, then faith was shut up. But when Christ came, and we could have faith in him, then the law fulfilled its purpose, and we have no need then for the law because Jesus came and by faith we're saved through grace, not by keeping the law. So Jesus fulfilled the law. He said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled the law, and we're not under the law. If we're not under the law, we're not under the curse of the law. And so thank God that Jesus fulfilled the law. Did he finish that work? Yes, he did. Number two, the priesthood. The priesthood came out of Levi, the tribe of Levi. Remember the Levitical priesthood? And they had to do their duties as priests before the Lord. Okay. In the book of Hebrews, look at what it says here about Jesus. In chapter 7, verses 11 through 14, the Levitical priesthood was set up for a specific purpose to really reveal to us some things Christ had to do. So, if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood? With a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Instead of the order of Levi and Aaron. And if the priesthood is changed. The law must also be changed to permit it. For the priest who are talking about. Or we are talking about belongs to a different tribe. Whose members have never served at the altar as priest. What I mean is. Our Lord came from the tribe of Judah. And Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. So. What he's saying is this, this Levitical priesthood was set up to fulfill responsibilities and duties under the law, to point to Christ through types and shadows. Well, guess what? Jesus fulfilled the priesthood. He is a priest, not after the order of Aaron or Levi, but a priest as Melchizedek, high priest who had no beginning and no end and so on. And so what he's trying to tell us is this. Look, all that was set up to point us to another who is Christ. And Christ fulfilled everything that the Levitical priesthood was supposed to do. So now he has fulfilled it and set it aside. So there's no longer a need for a priesthood on the earth to offer the next thing, sacrifices. No more sacrifices. They've been fulfilled and set aside. So look at Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll see that Jesus fulfilled and finished this work, all three. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, everybody say never, 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 could never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. The next verse says it because if they would, they would cease to be offered. But going down to verse 12 through 14. But this man, what's his name? After he hath offered how many sacrifices? One sacrifice for his sins forever sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting to all his to his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Oh my. All those sacrifices could never perfect anyone. But one sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ, and you and I are perfected forever in the sight of the living God. One sacrifice. See, it's not about the law. It's not about the priesthood. It's not about those sacrifices of bulls and animals. It's about Jesus who fulfilled the law. Jesus who fulfilled the priesthood. Jesus, praise God, who was the last sacrifice ever sacrificed. Guess what? Our sacrifice is now only one of praise and thanksgiving. No other sacrifice is necessary to be sacrificed because of Jesus. You see, it's all about Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Number two. The second thing that he was here to do, that he had to finish, was being our substitute. You see, when he said it is finished on the cross, he meant the Abrahamic covenant The law, the priesthood, the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb, that was finished, brought to an end. That activity has ended. It has stopped. There's no longer a need for any of this. The second thing, his work is our substitute. This work begins when he was made sin on the cross. And it ended when he took his blood to the high court of heaven and offered it to obtain eternal redemption for us. So that's when it began and that's when it ended. So God's law requires two important things. Obedience to the law or an atonement for sin. Okay, so since he requires those two things, let me ask everyone here today in church. Have you ever missed the mark? Have you ever sinned against God? Anyone? Do you know anyone who has not sinned, excluding Jesus? Anyone? Well, then if God's law for reconciliation required those two things, only one of those two things, and a person could never, never, never live a sinless life, then he doesn't qualify. Well, what about if he offered up his own blood as an atonement for sin? Would that qualify him? Absolutely not. Look at James chapter 2. This is from the contemporary English version of the Bible. If you obey every law except one, you are still guilty of breaking them all. That's why sometimes when I share with people that they think they're a good person, they can make it to heaven because they're a good person, I would just say, have you ever sinned once? Well, maybe... Well, if you did, you've broken the entire law. Period. Look at Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6, I believe it is. Look at what it says. For we have all become like one who is unclean, ceremonially like a leper. And all our righteousness, our best deeds of righteousness, or righteous and justice, is like filthy rags or a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away far from God's favor, hurrying us toward destruction. Know what that tells me? You can't save yourself. I can't save myself. No one can live a sinless life and no one's blood is perfect enough to redeem that person from his fallen state. It's impossible. But the gospel is what kind of news? I've got good news for you today. Someone did both. Someone did both. Someone lived a sinless life, and someone's blood atoned for our sin. Anybody know what his name is? Look in the book of Hebrews once again. Notice verse chapter four, verse fifteen. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. You want to talk about a liberating truth? He did it for us. He lived a sinless life for us. And so when you go to God for mercy you know what you're saying? Don't look at me. Don't look at my faults, my shortcomings, my failures, my mistakes, my sins. Look at him. Look at Jesus. He never sinned, never missed the mark. So have mercy. Don't give, me, don't give me what I deserve. Give me what he deserves. And grace is his operational power to help us overcome the temptations that we face in life. But then also, we see in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 18 and 19, Notice what it says: For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Oh, hallelujah! Can we take a moment and say thank you, Jesus, for living a sinless life, and shedding your precious blood, and taking it to heaven? Where you redeemed us and obtained eternal redemption for us. Look in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, and verse 9. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. That means every people group on the planet he shed his blood for. Not just one exclusive group. But for the whole world, he so loved the whole world. His blood was spilled for every single one of us. And then in the book of Hebrews, we can see what happened when he did it. But Christ becoming a high priest of good things to come by a greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of bulls, of goats and of calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once, once. Into the holy place, having obtained eternal, not temporary, but eternal redemption for us. Those two phases of the ministry of Jesus have been finished. You know why there's, never been, there's not been a temple in Israel for 2,000 years? You want to know why there are no more red heifers to offer up so the high priests can do their duties? You want to know why there's no more animal sacrifices and so on? Because it's all been fulfilled. Because Jesus brought an end to it. He completed it. Now, what about all this excitement about seeing a red heifer? What, all this excitement about the temple's ready to be built in place? That's all wonderful. But you know what it all means? It means that his rapture is close at hand. Because you see, that's not going to last but three and a half years. Then the Antichrist, in the middle of that three and a half years, that seven-year period, three and a half years, he is going to come unglued. Everything's going to come unglued. It's all going to take place. There's no need for more sacrifices because the last sacrifice was offered and the blood was shed and the Father accepted it. And that means every single one of us is liberated from our sin. He holds nothing against you. You've got the ministry of reconciliation to make it known to all the world that Christ has redeemed us from our sins and no longer are our sins being held against us. Thank God we're not under the law, but we're under what? grace thank god for grace now the third phase of his ministry is an ongoing phase of his ministry and this is called the um oh wait wait, before i even get there let's i don't want to leave this out the defeat of satan the defeat of satan how many of you think that you can go uh, to a boxing match with the devil and win I know that my son Andrew would love to, because oftentimes he thinks about getting a baseball bat and saying, "Where is he?" I just love to hit him in the head. And I said, "Son, that's not how it works. That's not the way it works. We have an enemy out there, but he's a defeated enemy. You see, you can't complete something that's been completed. You can't finish something that's been finished. You can't defeat what's already been defeated, because you see, you're no match for the devil. I'm no match for the devil." That's why in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, look at these verses. For as much that his children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of that, that is the devil, and deliver them who through all their lifetime was subject to bondage. Jesus defeated, I got good news this morning. He defeated the devil. The devil is defeated. He has been defeated. In Colossians, we are told that Jesus made a public display of him, triumphing over him through the cross. And he delivered every single one of us from the authority or the jurisdiction of the kingdom of darkness. And nothing in that kingdom has power over us anymore. So instead of putting on your boxing gloves and thinking that you're going to fight with the devil, just arm yourself with this with the word of God that says your enemy is defeated. And if you ever hear yourself saying with your own mouth these words, the devil's just been after me, the devil's so strong, the devil this, the devil that, stop yourself in the midst of that and say, the devil has been defeated by Jesus. I don't need to defeat him. He's been defeated. I just resist him. Because you see, he's so crazy, he doesn't realize he's defeated. He's defeated. Or he doesn't want to admit he's been defeated. And so he's going to hound every single one of us to try to sift us as wheat. And when he tries to sift, up, sift us as wheat, you know what that expression really means? To separate the coarse from the good, right? That's what he wants to do. Because you see, when he hears you saying something like this, I resist you in the mighty name of Jesus, he'll put on the pressure to find out whether or not you're echoing somebody else Parroting somebody else, or you truly know he's been defeated by Jesus Christ and he is under your feet where he belongs so he'll try to put the pressure on you then uh, when he hears you say something out of your mouth like this well I guess he was I guess I thought that the name of Jesus would cover this, but it seems like as though it's just not working for me you see then he knows oh that's just fictitious faith. what he wants to hear you see is that whether or not you truly know it because if you truly know it He's running. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. But how do I resist him? Do I use physical force? Do I use my mental powers? Mm-mm. No. I have to admit to you, this was a, one of the funny, it's a crazy thing that made me think of spiritual things. But in that one movie, the Disney movie, or I think it's Disney, whatever. Um, what was the name of that movie? I forget the name of the movie, but um, it's, it's when the one character says that he picked me up by his mind mental powers and shook me like a dog. Monsters, Inc. I figured Dante might know it. <laughs> he says he picked me up with his mental powers and shook me like a dog. And <laughs> well you know what? It's not mental. It's not physical. It's spiritual. And you know what? With the name of Jesus, you can shake him like a dog. With the, you see, whom resist steadfast with your faith, Peter said. He's like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. He didn't say that intended to, to do what? To scare us, to frighten us. Peter didn't say that so we could be afraid of the devil. He said that so that we would know, use your faith and resist him. It's faith that resists the devil. And so when Jesus told Peter, Satan's come to sift you like wheat, what did Peter hear Jesus pray out of his mouth? Did he say, Peter, I'm going to stand against the devil for you, Peter. I'm going to take control over this situation, Peter. No. He said, no, when he comes to sift you like wheat, I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith fail not. Your faith fail not. Use your faith And put the devil where he belongs, under your feet, because he's a defeated foe. And if he is wreaking havoc in your life, he has no right to do it. So, put a stop to what he was saying, with your faith. Faith in what? Faith in the finished work of Christ. He's been defeated, praise God, by the blood of the Lamb we overcome and the word of our testimony. He's been defeated, and he cannot defeat us. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. Now, the third phase. Of his ministry. And this is not something that's finished. This is something that's ongoing today. Because you see the others were finished. There's no need for those any longer. What's needful today is. The, are, really these things are needed for today. So the third thing we see. Is that he has an ongoing ministry. At the right hand of the majesty on high. So the third phase is his ministry today. The present day ministry of Jesus Christ. And this is what the church is supposed to be majoring in. We should be mangering in the finished work of Christ. It's all been completed. And now we rest in his finished work as he conducts his ministry at the right hand of God. So let's look at the scriptures. And in the book of um, Hebrews chapter 1 and also the book of Romans. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins... Everybody says, "Sat down." When do you sit down? When you're finished. I don't know about you. I got to get the work done. When I get done with the work, then I sit down. Okay. He sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. Look in Romans eight thirty four. He sat down. He has a present day ministry, but right now he is seated at the right hand of God. His first ministry was in his earth walk when he went to a cross. His second ministry started when he became sin on the cross and ended when he went to the high court of heaven with his blood. The third phase was when he was seated at the right hand of God. Look at this. Who is, the, who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Notice the expression. He's at the right hand of God. And at the right hand of God, what's he doing? Making intercession for us. Okay. Now, this aspect of his ministry is fivefold. He is the high priest of the new and everlasting covenant. He's the mediator of this new and everlasting covenant. He's our advocate before the throne of God. He's our intercessor where he intercedes for us. And he is our he is our surety or guarantee that every word of this covenant is fulfilled. That means if we know what that word says about Satan's defeat, about all those things that have been completed and finished because of the work that he did, we can enjoy all those aspects of his finished work by faith which is our next topic but before we get there you realize that more most christians have more faith in the accuser of the brethren than the justifier of the believer and you know why that is because more people most people look in the mirror and they see their faults their shortcomings their failures their inabilities their mistakes and so what does the enemy do he preys on that you know you're just not a good christian you're not serving the lord like you should and all that he tries to get us to look at who we are in the flesh that's what he tries to do who are we in the flesh look in romans chapter 3 and verse 23 he wants us to stop at verse 23 but we're going to read on through verse 26 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god it's so easy for us to look at the first part and say, oh, yeah, I'm just a sinner. Matter of fact, when I hear Christians say I'm a sinner and they stop right there, don't, don't allow that to be a part of your mindset. You were a sinner. You've been saved by grace. You are a saint. You're the righteousness of God and you are God's masterpiece. His workmanship. You know, he finished his work to make you his workmanship. His work was finished. Remember Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and 10? By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For you are his workmanship, you are his masterpiece, recreated in Christ Jesus unto good works. Okay, so where is masterpiece? Well, that sin comes short of the glory of God. But look at the next verse. Being justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his grace. Blood, Not our works, but his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past to the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Do you believe in him? Stop listening to the accuser of the brethren and start listening to the justifier of the brethren. You've been justified by the blood of the lamb, which means God sees you just as if you never sinned in your life. Cleansed by the blood of the lamb. That's how he sees you. That's how he sees me. And that's an ongoing ministry right now. So as a high priest, you know what he's doing? Representing us before the throne of God. His blood is there, praise God, giving us access and entrance to the holy place of all. As our mediator, he's the one that mediates. He goes between the two of us. As our advocate, you know you need to have an advocate. And especially if you can't do some things for yourself, you need an advocate. Aren't you glad that you can have one? I'm an advocate for my father right now. Because you see, he needs me to do some things for him. We have an advocate at the throne of Almighty God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. He represents us to the Father and He ever lives to do intercession for us, praise God, and to be the surety of the covenant, to see to it that He guarantees every word that's ever spoken from the mouth of God when He negotiated the new and everlasting covenant and contract. So praise God, you are justified before God and God sees you perfect in His sight. That's how He sees us. I didn't say we're always walking perfect, but he sees you perfect. When you see a little baby, do you think of, mm, inability, sin consciousness, guilt, condemnation, because that child can't even walk? Or do you see perfection when you see a baby? Do you see innocence when you see a baby? Have you been born again, washed in the blood, and he sees innocence and perfection in you because of who you are in Christ, not who you are in yourself. That's why we need to know the finished work of Christ. Now, you're a baby. But you're growing and you're going to mature. Let's, just like a baby's going to grow and mature. And while you're growing and maturing, guess what? He still sees you perfect. He still sees you righteous. He still sees you holy. He sees, still sees you sanctified and set apart. Praise God. He sees you that way. He sees me that way. That's how we are seen in the throne of God. And aren't you glad it's all because of Jesus? Now, the next phase. Entering his rest by faith. Look in the book of Hebrews in chapter 3. And this is the comparison that the writer of Hebrews uses to try to communicate to us where we're at as opposed to where the Israelites were at way back when. The promised land stands for all the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. Notice they didn't believe. So we see that they could not enter in. What's the reason? Because of unbelief. Belief. Let us therefore fear lest the promise being left o' us of entering into his, what? Rest. And if you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel priest as well as unto them. But the word priest did not profit them or benefit them, not being mixed with, what? Faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn to my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were, what? They were what? They were what? They were completed. They were brought to an end. They were finished from the foundation of the world. God's will for mankind has never been anything but good. To bless us, to care for us, to love us, to provide a place of habitation for us in which he could bless us immensely. As a matter of fact, look uh, in the book of uh, Deuteronomy because we have a, a revelation of this promised land that he had for them that they could have entered into, but unbelief kept them out. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The house will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig. And you will eat from vineyards and give tr- and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land. And he goes on to say, don't forget the Lord your God. But I want you to notice everything in that land. Did you notice how he emphasized you had nothing to do with it? You had nothing to do with it. You and I have nothing to do with the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. We have nothing to do with everything in that promised land that Jesus gave his life, sacrificed his life to provide for every single one of us. It's called the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. There's nothing that you and I can do to live a perfect life, to experience it. And that's why every single one of us today... Don't let the devil browbeat you with guilt and condemnation, making you think that today you've got to live a perfect, flawless life in the flesh in order to receive a blessing from God. I've got some great news for you. You're already blessed coming in. You're blessed going out. You're blessed in the city. You're blessed in the field. You're blessed in a basket. You're blessed in a store. He made you the head, not the tail, above only and not beneath. You are blessed, praise God, and you're rising up and you're lying down. The moment you got your head off the pillow this morning, you were blessed when you were sleeping. And praise God, you were blessed when you got awake. I'm telling you the blessing of the, of the Lord is upon you and you cannot be cursed in any other way. He is not looking for your faults. He's not looking for your failures. He's not looking for your shortcomings. He's not looking for your uh, mistake that you make in life. He sees you completely delivered, set free, holy and righteous and sanctified in His sight because of the blood of Jesus. He sees your life filtered through the blood of the Lamb. So when you make a mistake, you just take a shower under the blood of the Lamb. That's all. And you're going to make them, but just say, oh, sorry, Father. Stepping right on oh the continuous flow of the blood of the Lamb. Thank you. Thank you. We'd rather live cleansed than unclean. Can you say amen? All right. So they wandered for 40 years in the the wilderness. Why? Because they didn't believe. They didn't believe the work was finished. They didn't believe the work was done. All they had to do was go in there and get a hold of it, but they didn't do it. Well, beloved, look at Hebrews once again now, chapter 4, because this is what he's talking about. Us. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. If they failed to enter in, did they fail to enter in because they weren't strong enough? No. Did they fail to enter in because there's so much more they had to do in the flesh to work for it? No. They couldn't achieve it that way either. It's impossible. There was only one thing that would get them in. They saw the signs. They saw the wonders. They saw the miracles in the wilderness. They saw the manna. They saw the water coming out of a rock. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw the quail come and just fill their themselves completely with all the meat that they ever wanted. They saw the cloud of day, they saw the fire by night, right, to keep them. They saw all these supernatural signs and wonders happening in the wilderness, but they didn't get into the promised land because when they got there, they failed to believe his word. Believe his word. What was his word? It's yours. Just take it. Just take it. By faith. Just experience it. Look at this. There remains therefore a rest of the people of God. That's us. For he that is entered into his rest he also has has ceased from his own works as God did from his. What does he mean by that? Go back to the beginning. God worked for 6 days. What did he do on the 7th day? Isn't that liberating? No, once I'm finished, I can just what? Rest. Anybody like to rest? Especially after a hard day's work, don't you like to rest? Okay. Well, let us labor that word labor there means you speed and also it means work as hard as you possibly can to do what? To enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Wait a minute. A, if I said we're going to have a place of rest in the back building, it's going to be a place where there's milk, honey, Max donuts, pizza, no work involved. Everybody go back and just rest. Talk, communicate, have a wonderful time what would you wouldn't that be great? okay, He says for us to enter into his rest, and that rest he's talking about is the finished works of Christ, and how do we enter into the rest by believing by believing what by believing that he himself fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant he Himself satisfied, fulfilled, and set aside the law, the priesthood, and the sacrifices. To believe He defeated the devil for us. To believe that we are, right now, cleansed and made perfect by the blood of the Lamb. We're not trying to get what we already have. We have it. It belongs to us. There's no effort on our part to achieve it because it's been given to us by the living God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son. So it's ours right now. You want peace? Guess what? My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. You want joy? Uh, the joy that you have is His joy, unspeakable and full of glory. You need faith? He's, he gives to every man the measure of faith. Guess what? It all comes from Him, and we all have it now. It's already been done. You want healing? He's your healer. He gave, he gave it to us when He died on Calvary. He he gave us His saving grace. He gave us His healing grace. He gave us His delivering grace. It all belongs to every single one of us right now. And here's what's left to do. Look at um, Matthew. Look at Matthew. These words should be more meaningful now than ever before in your life. Everything that we need has already been provided. The only way we can inherit it is by understanding it belongs to us. And by faith, just... Experiencing it and just saying it belongs to me now. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice he says, come unto me and do what? Learn of me. Do you know the Holy Ghost was sent to teach us everything about Jesus and what he did in his finished work on Calvary? In the substitutionary act when he took our place? Entering into his rest is a matter of revelation and believing in the work that he did. So I believe you bore my sin, I believe you bore my sickness. I believe you carried my pains. I believe you took my mental anguish. I believe by your stripes I was healed. I believe you became the curse for me. I believe you justified me. And therefore I refuse to accept from the accuser of the brethren anything that he says about my shortcomings. But you see, if you're if you're fooled by the enemy, and remember when they got to the promised land, there were giants in the land, and those giants are emotional giants. You listen to their name, you read their names, and find out what they're about. You find out every one of them was an emotional giant intended to keep them out of the promised land: the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, the Amorites, etc. All thoseites. And we've got a paper out there in the Arthex area of our church. You can pick it up and see all the definitions of all the ones, uh, the names, what they mean. What kept them out of the promised land was fear, compromise and so on things like that anxiety worry low self-esteem and low self-worth you see jesus did all this so that we could see ourselves in him and identify with him and if we identify with him we experience everything that he provided for us by faith i am the righteousness of god in christ i am his workmanship you start saying it yourself I am who He says I am. I can do what He said I can do. I have what He says I have. I know, praise God, what He has revealed to me. See, it's the great exchange. He took my place so we could have His. He took my identity so I could have His. What an exchange. He came. not he became separated from the Father so I could be joined and become an heir of God. Let's close with this section of the Scripture which I think is marvelous, beyond words. And we really need to spend some time with it. Colossians 2, verses 10 through 17. What does the word finish mean? To complete, to bring to an end, right? Look at these first few words. And you are complete in him. Oh, how, did you hear those words? You know, the verse before that says, he it has in him the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Father, Son and Holy Ghost dwell in him, the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him. Hallelujah. Which is the head of all principality and power. And whom also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism wherein you also were risen with him. Notice with him through Of the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, has he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, which was contrary to us, took it out the way and nailed it to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a public display of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holiday or a new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. You know what he is saying here? All that's been fulfilled, so don't let somebody tell you you got to keep a holiday, you got to keep a holy day, you got to keep a Sabbath day. You know, and there's some religions that are based on what we keep the Sabbath day. That shows me just how they have no revelation. The Sabbath day is not a day, the Sabbath day is a person. He is our Sabbath day, He is our rest. He rested on the seventh day, which is a type of the finished work of Christ. God finished His work. Jesus is our Sabbath. We're resting in Him, and guess what? Yes, we worship on Sunday. We set aside that day because that's what they did after the resurrection of the dead. But the true rest is when we rest in the benefits of the gospel, the benefits of our covenant, the benefits of the finished work of Christ. Whether we do it on a Sunday, a Monday, a Tuesday, every day is the Sabbath day to the believer because. Jesus is our rest. (laughs) Praise God. So it's a person. It's not a day. And that's how we fulfill it. And so thanks be to God that we've been delivered and set free. Because of what Jesus has done for us. And our faith is in what he did. We just accept it. With simple faith. So we can't complete what's been completed. We can't defeat what's already been defeated. It's already been done. It's ours. So now the next phase of this, we're going to talk about who you are in Christ. Who we are. If any man be in Christ, he is a new species who never before existed. You ready for it? Let's all stand together.